so much to talk about, man. Uh, most importantly, let's get into Kingpin and Echo. Uh, you have played this character for a very long time. How is it uh, incorporating a character from a comic book into your process and making it come to life? Yeah, so that would have been like a couple of months before we started shooting the Netflix, the original Netflix show. Right. I was, I you know, I, I've had comic books when I was a, a kid and I, I did have Daredevil and I had Spider-Man, Captain America and Batman and Punisher, actually. Mm-hmm. So I knew a bit about Fisk, but, you know, so I did my homework when I heard they were offering me this this thing. And once I had done the homework and I read the first couple of scripts that they sent, I was totally excited about it. And the inspiration of of that Fisk, of Wilson, in, in the Netflix series is, it's a combination of, I had to find his voice. Once I found his voice, it kind of all started to come together. The art of David Max and, um, you know, a few other graphic novelists and artists and creators they the art inspired me a lot i would i would look at max stuff and all the time because he i wanted to have a a grasp of the tone of how he comes across and posture and his the way he perceives the world Mm -hmm. so that's how it was i mean that's how that's how i formed ended up forming the character when i when we first when i first started this journey with this uh, kingpin guy do you read like the comics for inspiration and kind of really delve into the to the history that way as well. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I've read them all and um, not, not all of them. I've read, not, haven't read the, the actually Kingpin runs that, that are out there these days, but I haven't read any does. I've looked at them now and stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, all the original stuff, all the canon, you know, I, I grew really familiar with back, back then when we were doing the Netflix thing. And, and I still have all the, all the material and and all the art and it's it's just um sort of with me all the time when i'm doing this stuff for marvel when you were first starting to play i mean obviously stan lee is such a huge icon in this world did you have any any um connection with stan at all no i wish i had yeah i mean i i heard secondhand from good friends who were avengers and stuff that he was very excited about the kingpin that I brought forward, but we never, I was never able to meet him. And I, I wish that I had, you know, mm-hmm, of course. Well, yeah. Cause you know, once again, such an I- iconic type of a, 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 of a guy behind that. I find too, with comic book fans, they're very critical at times. I mean, they're much like wrestling fans can be where they, they always have an opinion on something. Did you ever get a lot of feedback from fans that liked your portrayal? Didn't like your portrayal? Oh my gosh! Yeah, Charlie Cox and I—we get all kinds of feedback when we do mm-hmm. we do the expos together every once in a while, and right, we get so much feedback and so much positivity, and we get critiqued as well. Mm-hmm. It's the only time in my career—I guess I've been acting for over forty years now—but it's the first time in my career that I've ever been inspired by the by the fans. You know, it's like it's so important to them <laughs> that that you rise to the occasion you know it doesn't like for charlie and i it does we talked about it we've talked about it we talk about it every once in a while it doesn't make us feel nervous or or it doesn't make us feel stressed about 
you know, whether we're going to get it right in their eyes. It actually inspires us to get it right in their eyes. It really does. And, you know, when you hear how important it is to people, you know, as an actor, if I didn't go to these expos, I, you know, I wouldn't know as much right. specifics about like really detailed specifics of how, how people feel about this stuff. And it's extraordinary. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing like it in, in my, in my business other than it. Well, and that's the thing too, being uh, an actor, you know, you're, you're filming multiple takes, you know, of a scene and then waiting six months for it to come out getting kind of the reactions and reviews when you go to the to the comic cons and that sort of thing you get like you said the actual feedback live face to face yeah which i'm sure is is once again something very different for you as as a performer yeah it's it it, it's great you know (laughs) i mean sometimes i have to like tell you know make them understand that you know i'll put my hand on their shoulder or look them in the eye and say, how's your day going? Because they're very nervous. Yeah. Especially the Kingpin fans. Cause they're, <laughs> you know, they're very nervous about what I'm going to be like as a person. Right. Which is silly to me, but it's not silly to them, you know? And so you, you know, you have to take it. It's just like any first meeting of somebody that you want to come across friendly with and stuff, you know, like you have, I have to, you know, on occasions with young people and with, you know, adults, I have to give them a few moments to understand that um, I'm just Vincent and, you know, I this character, you know. Yeah. And then it goes well after that. It is fun, you know. It really is. No, you get that sometimes. I mean, even for, for me over the years, especially when I was a really, really bad, bad character in wrestling, someone would meet you face to face and they'd be like, I can't believe how, how nice you are. I thought you'd be such an, an asshole. And it's right. like, well, you know, Anthony Hopkins doesn't walk down the street eating people's livers with a fine Chianti either, right? <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> it's yeah. the part that you're playing, that, but if you play it well, people don't know for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know you know exactly what I mean, yeah. So you've done, played Fisk and played Kingpin uh, in the original series, now in Echo, and there's another Daredevil series that, that, that you're working on or maybe you've already finished also? Or- no, no, we start, we start shooting, we revisit it on... Um, not near not even near being finished yet we start okay i start tuesday they're they're actually uh starting today but i start tuesday so disney plus is continuing on with the story that was started on the netflix show correct it's amazing how popular this daredevil universe is is it surprising that they'll take something from netflix and put it onto disney is that something that happens quite often no 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 that the netflix other than networks there was no streaming service that was representing any kind of lower on the ground Marvel characters, you know? Right. So, you know, Jeff Loeb, who ran the television wing of, of, of Marvel at the time, he, he his dream was to get um, him and, a, and a, a few other Marvel comic related people. Their dream was to get Daredevil on television. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, is that we, you know, the whole cast and and the directors and Jeff and the writers knocked it out of the park. And even in the third season, we were still one of the top watched shows. But then Disney had this plan to start Disney Plus mm-hmm. and they wanted all of their rights back. And so they had to wait a couple of years. And then they pulled us because, you know, unbeknownst to us at the time, they had bigger plans. 
which is great for I mean, even a, a, an actor of your stature that's like you mentioned had so many great roles over forty years. It must be cool to have a regular gig that you can always you come back to. Dude, it's like you know, like I'm so lucky. You know, this part especially, it's like you know, my guy doesn't have superpowers. He's not yeah. from space. You know, he's like a. I can play him as a man. I mean, sure, the reality is heightened a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's it's an emotionally based story, so it's not cartoony or charactery. Right. It's not science fiction per se. You know, it, it's an adventure story for sure, but it's a drama. And that dude, I'm like so lucky. Are you kidding me? <laughs> great. Yeah. Is there anything that you know about Born Again? Because that's the name of the next series, the Daredevil Born Again. What, what, what stories? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a deeper examination of, of those two men, Charlie mm. character Daredevil, and my character Wilson Fisk. And has Charlie been Daredevil the whole time that you've been Fisk? Yeah. So that's great too. This must be a good chemistry between you two guys. Totally. Yeah. And and we're also good friends. Well, it's funny because I was looking at your bio, and this is a, such a great sentence here. Uh, Vincent's characters have included a priest, a bisexual former porn star, a hijacker, a serial killer, Orson Welles, space alien, 60s radical a pulp fiction writer, a genius, the police, Stuart Smalley's dope head brother. It goes on and on and on, the variety of, of roles that you've played. But I got to talk to you about one of my all-time favorite roles and one of my all-time favorite movies, of course, Full Metal Jacket, and talking about Leonard Lawrence, a.k.a. Private Pyle. How old were you when you filmed that movie? Such a genius movie and a genius part that you played. Yeah, it was my first film. Really? Yeah. Your first film, wow. My first film, yeah. Outside of like student films and shoestring, you know, budget films, you know, like it's like that nobody saw. Right. They were, some of them were very cool, but nobody really saw them. Yeah. But as far as a feature film, Stanley cast me in my first role. So talk about that process. How did you get the audition? And, and obviously you're working with Stanley Kubrick, one of the greatest of all time. You've never been in a movie before. How did you impress him enough? Well, Matthew Modine was a friend of mine. We studied together a little bit, but we also saw each other at auditions a lot. I think Matthew did about three movies before his career was already on its way. Mm-hmm. Before I'd, I'd even worked in film. And he was out there. He got the part in Full Metal Jacket. And uh, he, they were on hiatus for a few weeks. And he was back in New York. And I said, and he, he, he hadn't read the first half of the movie because Stanley didn't release it in the script-wise yet. And mm. um, he said, you know, there's another part that's a big part in the first half. But I, I can't tell you what it is because I don't know. But you should be sending a tape out to him. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a film agent. You know, I just had a theater agent. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even really know about it, to tell you the truth, until, until Matthew told me. I was doing a play at the time, and I put a monologue from the play on tape. And that, that wasn't easy back then. You know, the cameras were like giant, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> right. and, and you had to carry a deck or next to you. Like, it was a big deal. But my friend, my you know, my best friend, Steve, and I, we, we set up a camera on 10th Avenue and 21st street. And, uh, I sat on the stoop and I did a monologue from the play I was doing. And, um, long story short, I, I got the part. What did you have to do to, to prepare for the role of Leonard? Eventually Stanley called me himself after I sent a second tape mm-hmm. and he said, you know, read this book. I want you to read this book. That, and he told me the name of the book. And he said, the character in that is very frail and, I didn't want to go that way. So 
I want to go where the guy is kind of overweight and out of shape. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, you're going to have to put on weight to play the part. I was like, okay, you know, De Niro had done it. So I'm like, if, mm -hmm. if that's what great actors are right. doing these days, <laughs> then I'll, I'll try and do my best to, to do that. And so I was supposed to put on like 30 pounds or something, but it, I just looked like I could kick everybody's ass. Right. And so I went up to eventually 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Ex, uh, an excess of 80 pounds. Yeah. And eventually, so that by the time I got there to England to shoot, I was sort of halfway there with the weight. And then they were still doing Vietnam stuff, shooting Vietnam stuff. Mm -hmm. They shot that before they shot the first half of the movie. And so I continued to, while I was learning how to drill and do monkey patrol with the rifles and basically learning how to be a Marine when it comes to all the technical stuff, I was, I was still putting the weight on until, until I started to look weaker than everybody. And that's, that's when it made sense. How did you gain so much weight in such a short period of time? Smoked a lot of hash <laughs> and ate, you know, like half a loaf of bread in the morning and six eggs and. You know, I just ate three big meals a day, proved that I wasn't really, didn't really normally eat, especially the amount, that amount. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's how I did it. Did that affect your health at all, like your overall day-to-day? -day? Well, I was advised by, I had a kind of coach to keep me stretched and to keep me, um, my cardiovascular in pretty decent shape. So, I had been you know, athletic person for a long time before that. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I understood how important stretching and certain kind of exercises that don't necessarily, that are not cardiovascular based, but they do keep your heart intact, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So I stayed very healthy. And then, you know, I took the weight off. Once I changed my diet back to normal, I returned to New York, had that same trainer come from England and set me off on a good course of training, running and, and training. You know, I had that weight off in six months. Let's go back to, to private pile. And I mean, you're thrown into the deep end. Like you said, I didn't realize this was your first film and you're working with Kubrick and you work. I know I think it was Lee Ermey's first movie too. Maybe no, he did. He did a couple of things war okay. films before that. Yeah. Yeah. But small, small parts, nothing like full metal jacket. But, but the chemistry between the two of you and of course with Matthew Modine is amazing, but what kind of a director was, was Stanley Kubrick to work with? You know, he has all this kind of, you know, even now, there's people think that he was a weirdo of some kind. He wasn't at all. He was like mm. a totally normal guy from the Bronx in New York. <laughs> he was definitely really good at his job. You know, like <laughs> he was an incredible photographer. He had an incredible sense of storytelling, but in his kind of way, like a very unique thing. Like most of the Mavericks, the Maverick filmmakers from back then, all and the newcomers today, you know, they're, they're they have a, they write and they direct and they have a very particular vision. Those are the best kind of directors to work for. He was, he was one of those, you know, he was mm -hmm. super nice to us. He used to invite us, uh, Matthew and I over to his house on weekends. We'd watch movies with him. He, he used, you know, back then there was no digital. So he had giant 35 millimeter projectors, two of them, and he would thread the film himself. And, <laughs> you know, he was a really good guy. He, he didn't talk about, acting he didn't talk about he didn't give you any direction when it came to your acting never really yeah never no never he did once make check with me to make sure i was on the right track 
the night before we shot the, the scene where I shoot the sergeant and then shoot myself. He he checked with me in the parking lot. Like he he stopped me and asked me if I knew what I was going to if I was what I was going to do the next day. We were going to shoot it the next morning, the big scene. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And he said, um, and Matthew was actually with me when he was saying this. And he said, it has to be big. It has to be Lon Chaney big. Wow. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so funny. It was like a Christmas gift or something. Him saying that because on my table at the, on my, in my flat that I was staying at all this time, I had 20 black and white horror films, you know, like that I'd been watching <laughs> to try and uh, figure out how subtle and how unsubtle I could be. And the thing, and, and that happened to be exactly what he was talking about hmm. to take it somewhere big, but make sure it's grounded in some kind of um, emotional place so that it becomes real in people's minds, even though it's like this mm-hmm. heightened thing, you know? So I was, you know, I can't tell you how magical, like, I know that's a weird word to use when it comes to drama and stuff, but, it, it it was a gift. It was really something like I, things just worked out exactly. They were supposed to, that's not always the case in life, you know? So when he says big, does that mean facially? How- that means like if you, if you think of a performance on a volume, you know, he, he wanted 11 for sure. <laughs> not, you know, not sound wise, but as far as the, as far as the persona of the character. And I can envision it right now, just that moment where I live in a world of shit, just that face that you have. Yeah. You know, and the character is such a a well-developed character because you you feel bad for him. You have Mm -hmm. empathy and sympathy for him, but you're also pissed off that he can't stop screwing up. We played that really well. I just, him just sitting there eating his donut with his underwear on as everyone else is doing the push-ups. It's like, what a, what a scene that you'll never forget, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if it wasn't for Stanley, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Yeah. You know, the guy gave me my career in one movie. Boom. And it's exactly the kind of actor that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a character actor. I wanted to do all kinds of different kinds of parts. And so it was totally right up my alley. And it's, it's extraordinary what he did for me. Who were some of your inspirations that like you mentioned you wanted to be a character actor? Like who were some of your heroes that you wanted to emulate? Well, Alec Guinness was a big thing. Peter Sellers. And then there were, you know, early on in, in their careers, like De Niro was was always looked different in every part that he played when he was young. And right. I think probably the typical people, Meryl Streep, probably the ones that everybody would imagine. Those they to me they were even though they were doing leads in movies, they they were different in a way because they were developing characters like Mm-hmm. every scene that they were in they turned it into a character driven scene was it kind of like you go from like you mentioned student films and then you're on the set of a of a huge budget big time movie H- how was that for you like obviously you know this is your chance you got to blend right in but i'm sure when they're af- asking you if you what you want for lunch <laughs> you're like anything like how how was it for you to get dumped right into this giant movie out of nowhere yeah, it's a very good question, man. It was strange. It was really odd. I, I mean, I had to go there and, and get out of shape and learn all this stuff, the Marine Corps stuff. So it was mind-boggling to, to when I would get a break, I would walk out to the set where they were shooting. They were shoot, We were shooting in this old gas works plant outside of London, 
called uh, this area called Beckton. Mm-hmm. What he did was it was an abandoned gasworks land area, and he had palm trees and sand flown in from Spain and decorated it like that. And then Antoine first went in and did all the to make it look like the city of way, did all the art mm-hmm. in the city and writing and stuff. And then he brought in a demolition squad to just blow the whole place up. And <laughs> so to walk out on that set was just incredible. It was like, you know, beyond like right. what you could imagine. And, just, <laughs> and then just walking up to Stanley and having him uh, let me sit next to him while he's directing and watching all these great actors out there doing their stuff. It was, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I was 24, so you have to like it's a, it's an amazing it was an amazing thing. Imagine being 24, yeah, you know, yeah, and you're with one of the best directors in the world. You know, suddenly it's interesting when you mentioned that you lost all the weight because another one of my uh, favorite roles, and I didn't even realize it was you for years. Of course, talking about uh, Dawson, uh, Thor, and Adventures in Babysitting because like that's a, a ripped up, muscled up uh, Vincent Don- Donofrio. So like. I always thought that that was probably before Full Metal, but you're mentioning that's yeah, that was the that was the first film I did after. And you're in wicked shape in that. Yeah, yeah, I got back down. I was like I said, I was running like we were doing 11 mile runs mm. every couple of days, and you know, I started to you know lift again and stuff. So it was yeah, it was the perfect thing. I had turned down parts because I didn't want to do another part that size again. Mm-hmm. So I had to be very patient. It's very hard. I was like biting at the bit. I needed money. You know, I was like yeah. to pay rent and like, yeah, it was tough, but I, I stuck it through. And then eventually this little thing came up and I thought this is probably be a good thing to do just to show people that I'm not Leonard in full metal jacket, you know? So it's, yeah. Which is smart. Cause then you want to get typecast in that yeah. type of role. It's interesting what you just said too, which a lot of people still don't quite understand. It's like, here he is starring in this huge movie but you still need money like you're not becoming an instant millionaire right yeah i was i worked as the as a door guy at the hard rock cafe i went straight back to my job again after the movie oh wow yeah so people are coming up are you that guy no you couldn't be well the movie hadn't been released (laughs) yet so nobody bothered me about it obviously but no i i i didn't quit my my a real job in I think it was like four films into my career. Then you're then you're a working actor. I didn't actor. buy it. Yeah. yeah, I just didn't buy it. Like I thought, well, this is really fun right now, but what's going to happen, you know, ten years from now? You know, I better have a a plan. So, were you a, a bodyguard for Robert Plant or something like this? We w- working for the Hard Rock. There was um, a lot of rock stars and and celebrities and stuff that used to go in there. It used to be on Fifty Seventh Street, and so we got. I did do bodyguard work I, a lot um, for cash because I was doing like little plays and stuff. And yeah, it was nice to have a job like that because you, you didn't get fired. You got paid cash. You know, it was nice. Yeah. So <laughs> at, there was a there was a point. Yes. How, how was that? How was it working with Robert Plant? It was, you know, it was OK. It's good. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> was there anybody else that you worked with besides Robert of that ilk? I worked with a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, it was quite a job. I worked mostly with firefighters and and cops who were moonlighting, you know. So I would just sort of follow their lead. 
just quickly back to uh, playing the, the the Dawson and Thor. Is it amazing to you that such a small part is so memorable to so many people? Because that movie is just one of those movies that, for my generation especially, everyone loves that that freaking movie, and everyone loves that part of the reveal of of Thor. Yeah, it was. It was great. Like I, you know, I knew exactly what they wanted to do. I thought it was really fun. I think I shot for maybe, maybe I was there in Chicago for two days, maybe for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it was really brief. And then I, during that, I, I think I had got, while they were still shooting that, I got um, Mystic Pizza. And that was my third film. Another huge one as well. Something else I wanted to ask you about is when you played Orson Welles in, in, um, in Plan 9 with Tim Burton. Ed Wood. Yeah, sorry, Ed Wood. Ed Wood, yeah, sorry. With Johnny. Yeah. How, how is that playing somebody who's a real actual person? How do you, how do you figure that out? I've done it a few times. That wasn't a very extensive one. I've done like, I've played Robert E. Howard and Abby Hoffman, mm. and the eyes of Tammy Faye. It's just really, it's kind of fun. You know, it's cool. Cause you can, you know, you don't want to do like, it doesn't, you don't want to be too try to like do just an actual, you know, recreate the actual person. You want to put yourself into that person. Right. And look like them as similar similarly as you can but it's not being like a mimic it's a it's a it's an important thing you know like you learn especially if they're still alive you know you learn facts and and you watch a lot of tape on them and you look at a lot of photos and you listen to their voice a lot and you know as long as you put in the hours eventually slowly the, the it starts to creep in on you you can you can start to um be very kind of real but yet very much like the the person that was alive it's a it's a very kind of it's a different way Mm -hmm. to act but it's really fun to do that kind of stuff so it's not so much that you're trying to imitate the person but you're just trying to capture the essence of them yeah you're not doing an impersonation Hmm. you're representing them in a way i mean it gets very close to mimicking them like but you, you just keep you know, as long as it's hard because, you know, you're, you're working with dialogue, you're working with other actors, you have to react and act and do everything you would do in a normal part. But, yeah, you have to carry this persona. So you change your you change your posture, you change your voice and you do little quirks that they have like we all have. Right. And that's as long as you keep those like all of the th- those things I just listed, like balls juggling in the air mm. while the camera is rolling and then you're still acting and reacting fingers crossed it comes out okay you know well and, and that's the thing too i th- imagine like f- f- for someone like orson wells who is such a big persona and everyone knows kind of what he sounds like but then you mentioned robert e howard like i know he created conan but i don't know anything more about robert e howard you, right. can, you can do him as a irish guy with a lisp and i wouldn't know the difference so you know you're yeah. more just trying to, i guess like you said just capturing that essence more than anything yeah yeah it's really fun i really like doing it when you um are talking about some of your other stuff and obviously there's there's some movies that are huge blockbusters that you do and some of them are a little bit more artsy like for example when you do men in black i mean that's such a big part of playing bug and the the alien character is it fun for you to do that sort of thing as well as doing like some real serious acting roles as well oh my god yeah i love it i love doing comedy i don't get a chance to do it a lot right i really like it and um i like uh broad comedy i like physical comedy you know it's like uh 
I mean, Men in Black was a very, I was very lucky to get that and very lucky to get a director like Barry Sonnefeld, who basically didn't want, he was very similar to Stanley Kubrick, where he didn't want to talk about anything. You know, I had, in fact, I had to promise him that I wouldn't talk about performance or acting with him if I wanted to do the job. Oh, really? Yeah. If I promised him that, I would, he was going to give me the job. So I said, okay, I promise. I hadn't even read, the problem is I hadn't even read the script yet. And then I... <laughs> I got the script and I got home and I opened the script up and it's this like very vague, descriptive alien character that says these like one liners. And I'm like, oh, no. And I, I can't. I just promised I wouldn't talk to the director. <laughs> so I had to kind of figure it out on my own and uh, come up with all that stuff. And Rick Baker, you know, was did the makeup on it. So him and I together would sit at his his, his uh, special effects studio and he would paint my face and make pieces and fit them on my face and test this and test that. And I would be coming up with the walk and the voice and the whole thing. It was really, it was really, really fun. How is that? Like when you once again, talking about working with Rick Baker, is there a lot of molds that you had to do? Cause I remember your face was all distorted and lots of interesting yeah, things did, happening. Yeah. Yeah, sure. We did full cast, whole body cast. We did many face casts. I had to sit in the chair with him for hours when he would work things out, plastering things on my face and <laughs> and putting um, fake teeth in and, and also these things he used to call plumpers where they would build your jawline out or your cheek line out from the inside rather than doing a piece. Mm -hmm. So they would fit on your on the back of your mouth and it would like oh wow change your jowls and stuff. Yeah. He used to do all this great stuff. I mean, there's so much of in that period of time, in Rick Baker's work, so much of what he did then is now the way people do things. Right. I mean, he really discovered the the trick behind all of that in a way that was that had not been done yet. Previous, there was also great makeup artists, but Rick, uh, who Rick learned from actually, but Rick took it to a place that nobody could take before. So it was really quite something. As we start to uh, to wind down here, a couple. I wanted to ask you. You mentioned how, like you know, Barry Sonnenfeld told you not to talk to him and didn't give you any real, you know, direction. Is there a director you work with who was much more meticulous that would tell you, "I want you to do it exactly this way"? Sometimes there are. Yeah, I mean, there's some directors that I've worked with. You know, in this Echo series that's out now, mm -hmm. there's this there's this woman director, Sydney Freeman, indigenous director. Native American. And she was very clever. Like she would come over and say a couple of things to me, not make a big deal about it. She would just say a couple of words and it would just land hmm. in my head. And I'd be like, oh shit. Okay. That changes everything. Hmm. I would just go off of what she said and it, you know, it would work. Also Nancy Saboka, there's a re-release of this film, which was lost after its short release when we made it, me and Lily Taylor and Michael Imperioli and Tracy Ullman are in it. And they found it all again and refurbished the movie. And so it's released now. It's going to be in L.A. It's it's playing at the IFC now and it's getting a lot of praise. And so Nancy was a was she was a hands on director, but not overbearing. But she did have a lot to say hmm. about she would keep you in the tone of the movie that she wanted an overall tone of the movie. And she would make sure that she reminded you when she thought she needed to of the tone. And she was, she would also 
either yell it across the room or come over and say uh, just like a couple of things, like maybe one word sometimes and, and then walk away. And, you know, those are the best kinds of directors where, right. you know, they're guiding you. They're really the captain of the ship, you know, and they're guiding you through this performance without getting in your way, you know, or without invading your own personal kind of approach to things. Sure. You know, they don't step on you in any way. They lift you and they, they know how to do it. It's pretty cool, actually. It's, it's quite a skill. Well, I think I, I'm sure you probably would, would appreciate that, too, because it gives you something to, to, to work towards. Like, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of a lot of directors are, are scared to direct to direct me and other actors. You mm-hmm. know, they just are. Because, I mean, it, it's true. We've you know, I've made a career. I'll speak for myself. I've made a career out of bringing a character in fully developed, ready to go, you know. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I, you know, treasure direction like. I've always found that the best directors are, are, they're not scared of you and they'll come over and they'll say something to you. And while you're in character and while you've brought the, while you've brought this huge kind of all your homework in and, and a full character ready to go. And as you're performing it, they, they still have, they're enough of a captain to come over and just say, you know, a couple of things and say, this is try this on this one and stuff like that. It's a, uh, it's it's great you know you there's um you have a long career people trust you sure. they know that you're going to bring something in that's going to be valid and legitimate and they don't want to get in the way of it but at the same time they want to make their movie so it's the best ones are like that they don't get in the way of you and yet they still keep you on on their vision on their track last few things i see the guitars on the wall behind you and i know you play and i know you've done shows before in the past are you still playing and doing songs and writing stuff um those are ukes even that big one no kidding yeah that's a ukulele the two on the top are electrics that one is like just my favorite acoustic one just got a really good sound but um yeah you know like i i don't think i've i do a lot i do shows with a jazz band but i don't play hmm. i'm sort of like the lead man and them but I, th- those are just for me. Like I, I just, just so like I travel yeah. with one, you know, the, I, the reason why I have electric ones is because they don't make a lot of sound if they're not plugged in. So when you stay in hotels, you like, you don't keep people up at night. <laughs> it's funny because I was looking at that. So those, those, those look really small to be acoustics. So that makes sense. They're ukuleles. That was uh, uh, George Harrison's favorite instrument was a ukulele. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you play those on the road when you're, when you're filming stuff just to get, pass some time. I, I do, I do. You can catch me in my makeup chair getting makeup done with my ukulele in my lap. No kidding. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. And uh, the thing about a uke is that people think that you can only play like those typical uke songs on them, but you can play anything, on any rock and roll, any blues, any country or western song, anything you want on a ukulele. It's so much fun. I, I made it my thing in life to just never actually play a ukulele song on a ukulele because <laughs> you're always thinking like the hawaiian songs or something like that yeah yeah which are nice but not not my thing you know i don't know if you if you're a fan but did you ever see uh when when mccartney tours he plays something on a ukulele in tribute to george yeah yeah which is cool yeah yeah. Last question for you, Vincent. What is your favorite role that you've played? Obviously, you've had some huge ones. Is there one that's maybe a one or two roles that's maybe a little bit more obscure that you played that you really, really enjoyed? Well, playing Robert E. Howard was 
quite something. Mm. It was a good, really good script. I was working with Renee Zellweger on it. Dan Ireland was the director who passed away. It was a very extensive character, very deep character. He was a very kind of bipolar guy, but an incredible kind of Pulp Fiction writer. Mm -hmm. You know, he invented Conan, the barbarian. Right. But, I mean, he will always be in my mind. And then I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun playing this Marvel character right now. So he's on my mind a lot. And then the, uh, the other one I have to say is the role in Full Metal Jacket, because that role, for like different reasons, and it may not be why you're asking the question, but for different reasons, that's the one that, that got my career going. That's mm -hmm. the idea of getting the opportunity to play that part. And I played it very, very emotionally. So I think, you know, that will always be my absolute favorite. But I do have favorites, yeah. One that we didn't get a chance to talk about, I just loved it. I think you really had fun with was uh, Hoskins and Jurassic World, just playing that villain, very much a big type of cartoon character villain sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, dude, it was great talking to you, man. I look forward to checking out Echo and checking out Born Again and seeing whatever else that you do, because you always play some interesting parts. Oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. Thank you. See ya.